0: Today we're going to meet today we're going to meet the doubly dead or literally the twice dead Jude's not talking about zombies it's not the zombie apocalypse but he's talking about false teachers and I think it's interesting that God says they are doubly dead twice dead because these false teachers claim to be the ones who are truly alive. Spiritually, they claim to have this spiritual truth. They claim to have the key to a vibrant spirituality. They say you can write your own ticket with God. They say we can show you how to get the greatest and best things from God. On the contrary, God says you are just doubly dead, twice dead. Far from having the key to spirituality and spiritual life, you are spiritually dead. And that brings us to our text this morning over in the book of Jude. That is the last book before Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. It's a very small book, so just find the Revelation, go to the beginning of Revelation, and then turn one page, and you will be at Jude. Jude is writing about... The danger of false teachers. And that has been a danger that the church of Jesus Christ has faced throughout the centuries. And the people of God have faced throughout the centuries as well, even in the Old Testament. Because the prophets continually warned God's people about false teachers and false prophets. Jesus warned about false teachers and false prophets. Peter warned against false teachers and false prophets. Paul warned against false teachers and false prophets. And here we are seeing Jude's warning to the church of Jesus Christ about the danger of false teachers. Now let me say that this has been one of the hardest series personally for me uh, to preach. Not because... The study has been difficult, uh, not because finding examples of these false teachers has been hard to do, no, because I am just not geared toward wanting to call out people's names as being false and heretics and dangerous. I've said to you before, my nature is to give people the benefit of the doubt. Until there's just no doubt left. And such has been the case with these that I'm pointing out to you. And so as your pastor, as the one who's given responsibility by God to protect you and warn you of false shepherds, of wolves in sheep's clothing, I must call out names. If I do not, I'm afraid you will not understand Who I'm talking about. And so, I want you to understand this with no joy that I call names. But it is of necessity, I believe. Now, take your Bibles, stand. And I'll begin reading in verse 8 of Jude. And our focal verses will be verses 12 and 13. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear. Caring for themselves. Clouds without water. Carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit. Doubly dead. Uprooted. Wild ways of the sea. Casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. You may be seated. Today we're going to see the danger of the hypocrisy of these false teachers. The false teachers are very dangerous hypocrites. They claim to have spiritual light, but in truth they are in spiritual darkness. They are the blind leaving the blind. And in our verses this morning, Jude gives six pictures of their hypocrisy. Six metaphors to help us understand these false teachers. The first one we find in verse 11, when he says they are hidden reefs in your love feast. Now the early church would get together on a weekly basis and they would teach the truth of God. And as a part of that gathering together, they would have a common meal that they would all enjoy together, spend the afternoon in fellowship, eating together, enjoying communion with each other and with the Lord. And these were known as their love feast. And Jude says these false teachers are hidden reefs in these love feasts. Now, what's a reef? A reef is a either it could be of rock or it could be of coral, but it is a structure that is under the water that is dangerous to ships. A hidden reef is one that the ship's captain cannot see because it's underwater. But nevertheless, it can do great damage to his ship. It causes shipwreck. Countless ships have experienced their demise on hidden reefs. And so Jude says, These false teachers worm their way into your love feast, into your meetings by acting like they're Christians, saying the right words, doing all the right things, but he says in reality, they are hidden reefs. And these reefs... Cause shipwrecks. They worm their way in. As you see this picture of a shipwreck, you can understand the danger of these false teachers. They cause the shipwreck of the faith of young Christians by their false teachings. Now today they worm their way in through television, through the internet, through podcasts, through Twitter, through books, through CDs, but nevertheless, they are hidden reefs causing the shipwreck of the faith of young believers. Now let me just give one example of the danger of these hidden reefs of false teachers. They teach spiritual maturity. Well, first, let me ask you, what have I taught you spiritual maturity is? How do you gauge spiritual maturity? Being like Christ, right? I mean, God's desire for me and for you is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we understand spiritual maturity to be. Well, what does the Word of Faith movement say that spiritual maturity is? What do these prosperity preachers like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and John Hagee and Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar, what do they say spiritual maturity equals? Prosperity. Because God's will is for you to be prosperous. God wants His children to drive the best cars. And these preachers drive $100,000 cars, some of them. Wear the best clothes. Have the best of everything. Now, if this is God's will for you, then that translates, if I'm spiritually mature, I'll have all these things, right? Because if it's God's will for me to drive the best car and wear the best clothes and have the best of everything and I'm stuck in a job that I can barely pay my bills, then I must not be spiritually mature. I must be missing God's will somehow, right? And so what am I going to do? I'm going to try to strive towards confessing the right things, speaking prosperity into my life or calling on angels to come and give me wealth when that's not at all what God says, spiritual maturity is all about. God says over in Romans 8:29, God says, "For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son." That's God's will for you to become like Jesus. That's what God says spiritual maturity is. And how does God say that comes about? How do you and I get conformed to the image of Christ? Is it through driving the best cars? Is it through wearing the best clothes? Is it through having the best of everything? Is it through having a million dollar bank account? Well, that's not what scripture teaches. Look at what James says. James says that spiritual maturity comes through persevering through trials. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, but when you encounter various trials. Why in the world should I count it a joy when I'm going through trials and hardships? He tells us in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, and that is mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So, instead of following after prosperity to grow in spiritual maturity, the Bible says that we are to put to death the desires of the flesh, which includes greed, and we are to take up our cross and follow Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And so what we see is these hidden reefs... Are telling people that spiritual maturity equates to prosperity. And they are sending these new believers off in the total wrong direction. That rather than leading them into spiritual maturity. It's leading them into the shipwreck of their faith. Because it's leading them away from God. To material things. And prosperity. So he says first. They're like hidden reefs in your love feast. Second. He says, they are selfish shepherds. Again, in verse 12. Caring for themselves. You see that? Caring for themselves. The word there actually means shepherding. They are selfish shepherds. They are not in the ministry because they love God or because they love people. Because they want to be obedient to God. They are in the ministry because they love themselves and they love money. Jude says these false teachers are selfish shepherds interested in building their own bank accounts. Instead of the shepherds shepherding the people of God, caring for the needs of God's people, you know what they're doing? They're caring about their own needs. Ezekiel talks about these false Shepherds in Ezekiel chapter 34 when he says, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do, of the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? No, they feed themselves. I wonder how many of these prosperity preachers that you see on television actually spend time shepherding the people of God. How many of them visit? The sick in the hospitals? How many of them counsel with with families that are struggling? How many of them do you think are discipling other believers one-on-one? Or one-on-two? Or one-on-five? How many of these shepherds do you think are really seeking to minister to the spiritual needs of individuals, of people? And how many are more concerned about putting together an entertaining television show or promoting their latest book? God says they are selfish shepherds, only feeding themselves. And then the third picture, he says they are clouds without water. Clouds promise rain. When you see clouds forming, You are thinking, we're going to have rain. Now, depending on how much rain you've had may depend on how much expectation or desire you are. You remember several years ago when we went through about eight years of drought? wasn't that long ago, so you probably remember it. Well, I remember because I was wanting, trying to get a lawn established, and I was planting my garden, and man, I was planting some shrubs and bushes, and we wasn't having any rain. And when I would see clouds though, I'd think, man, we're going to have some rain today. He says these false teachers are like these big cumulus clouds, but they just blow over. Now, we've all had that happen. We've seen clouds and we think, man, we're going to have a storm here. But the storm never comes. The clouds just blow over. He says these false teachers are like clouds without water. They do as much benefit to the people that listen to their teachings as waterless clouds do to parched crops. Nothing at all. They promise empty promises. And nothing good happens. They promise spiritual truth, but there is none. They promise spiritual life, but there is none. They may appear to have success, but it's only human achievement, not Holy Spirit-generated results. Proverbs twenty-five fourteen says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. These false prophets claim to have the gift of prophecy. They claim to be able to perform miracles. They claim to have these visions and revelations and dreams. But it's just empty. It's not any good at all. One of the main teachings of this Word of Faith movement is that God's will is for you to have loads of money. Gloria Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's wife, on their website says this, Prosperity is a major Requirement in the establishment of God's will. Man, she just eliminated millions of Christians who live in poverty stricken countries. And God's will for his people today is abundance. Poverty is an evil spirit. That's what she says. So I guess all these people in these third world countries that are starving, barely can make it, of just possessed by evil spirits. Well, what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say His will for you is for you to have loads and loads of money? Now, Jesus never condemned money outright, but He did warn us not to store up treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, We are not to store up treasures on earth because that's putting your heart on the things of earth. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if I'm after prosperity, where's my heart going to be? Jesus also warned that wealth is deceitful and it can actually choke out God's Word in our life. Matthew 13. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns is a man who hears the Word and the worry of the world, and look at this, and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the Word And it becomes unfruitful. Why does he say the deceitfulness of wealth? What's deceitful about wealth? Well, what's deceitful is, wealth promises contentment. It promises satisfaction. But it's deceitful, it doesn't deliver. Jesus says, the love of money, desiring wealth, can choke God's word out of your life. In fact, Jesus warned us to be on guard against every form of greed and self-indulgence. Look in Luke 12. Jesus told a story about the man who accumulated all this wealth. And and he said, man, i got more than I can, can put in my barns. And so what should I do? I'll build more barns and fill them up. And then I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you fool. Today your life... Is required of you. Now, who will have what you've accumulated? And after that, Jesus says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus says, That's not where true life is, it's not in your possessions. Having an abundance is not where you're going to find soul, peace, and contentment. Jesus says we cannot serve God and our money. Look in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Man, those prosperity... Preachers need to hear that verse. You can't serve God in wealth. Jesus said how difficult it was for a rich man to get into heaven because he thinks he needs nothing. He thinks he's self-sufficient. In fact, Jesus himself didn't even have a bed to sleep on. In Matthew 8, Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. Well, he sure missed out on the prosperity gospel, didn't he? Jesus commands all his followers to lay down their lives in self-denial. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What's Jesus saying? He's not saying accumulate as much as you can, get as much money as you can, drive the best cars, have the best clothes, you can write your ticket with God. He's saying you die to yourself that you might live for God. The way you lose your life, he says, is to try to keep it, meaning to have what you want to have your desires, to write your ticket with God. Rather than coming to God and saying, God, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want to give you. I surrender myself to you. You write the ticket, God. And by your grace, I'll follow. So these false teachers are nothing but waterless clouds spouting this prosperity trash. Jude next says, there are autumn leaves without fruit. Again, in verse 12. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Now the picture here is again, in autumn, when you expect the apple trees or fruit trees to be filled with fruit, ready for the picking, and what you find is no fruit. In fact, not only no fruit, no leaves. Not only no leaves, but the tree is dead. And you look at it, and it's been uprooted. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a group on to go up to North Georgia to one of the apple orchards up there uh, in the fall. And you know, you had a a hayride, and you had an animal farm that you could go look, and then uh, a petting farm. And then they had you could go out and pick your own apples off the apple trees. Now, I want you to know. The best apples I have ever had was one I picked off that tree and ate it right then. I mean, I wiped it off, but I ate it right then. Maybe those chemicals made it better. I don't know. But you know how frustrating it would be to go and expect in the autumn to find apples on an apple tree and instead... You don't find any apples. You don't even find any leaves. And the tree is not only dead, but it's been pulled up by the roots. Jude says that's what these false teachers are like. There's no fruit there. No fruit at all. They have been uprooted. They claim to be true teachers and preachers. Therefore, they should bear fruit. But instead, they're fruitless, Jude says. Actually, he says they're spiritually dead also. Now you might be thinking, well, now wait a minute, preacher. Now you say these false teachers are fruitless, and yet some of these you've mentioned, like Joel Osteen, he draws such a big crowd, they can't hardly contain them in the stadiums he preaches in. He pastors the largest church, and I use that term loosely, in the United States. How do you say he's fruitless? And you only get about 150 on Sunday morning. He gets thousands. How do you say he's fruitless? Well, not everything that looks like fruit really is fruit. My wife has some apples around the house. that, if you pick one up and bit in it, you would be disappointed. You know why, don't you? It looks like an apple. But, buddy, it is not an apple. It's plastic. What may look like fruit, God says, in your eyes, God says, in my eyes, it's just artificial. It's just fakery. Look over in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to the church there at Sardis. Look at what he says about them. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, To he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. What's he, what's he mean? He says, I know you guys got a great reputation in the Christian community, that you are a blowing going church. Man, you got big crowds and you got big offerings and you got things going on all the time. You got a name for being alive, but let me tell you, in reality, you are just dead. You see, we equate spiritual life with crowds. God knows better. You can draw a crowd down to Grant Stadium. Text playing most of the time. You can always draw one over at Sanford Stadium when the Georgia's playing. Fill it with 90,000 people. But would you say that's spiritual life going on? But just because you can amass a crowd of people and get them up ex- excited and get them shouting doesn't mean the Spirit of God is there. Not at all. These false teachers may have the name that they are alive. They may have the appearance of being alive, of being fruitful, but God says they're dead. God sees the truth. We see what we think is the truth. How many of these false teachers have you seen prophesying? How many of them have you seen doing miracles? How many of them have you seen healing people, and casting out demons. You say, oh, I've seen Ernest Angler do that. (laughs) I've seen Oral Roberts do that. I've seen Benny Hinn do that. You know what Jesus said? He said, you can do all those things and be as lost as a skunk. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Jesus says, So then you will know them by their fruits, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Autumn trees without fruit. These word of faith teachers say that God's will for you is a trouble-free life. That's nothing but a fruitless tree. Again, on... Kenneth Copeland's website. They say God's prosperity isn't just financial blessings. It also includes healing, protection, favor, wisdom, success, well-being, and every good thing you could possibly need. All the good things Jesus paid for you to have. It boils down to this. We have to live by faith and trust in God. In Him we have already been delivered from the whole curse. We're protected from danger, sickness, lack of any other bad things that are under the curse. So according to these false teachers, you should have a trouble-free life. You've been delivered from everything under the curse. Jesus became a curse for you. He took all the problems of life upon Himself and you shouldn't have any of them. That the prosperity goes to healings and protection and success and well-being and every good thing. Is that what Jesus said? Is that what the Bible teaches? Does Jesus say you're going to have a trouble-free life if you follow Him? Well, let me tell you one thing. He said in Luke, turning His gaze toward His disciples, He began saying, Blessed are you who are, wait a minute, I thought poor, I thought that was an evil spirit. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Wait a minute. I thought I'm supposed to have a trouble-free life. For you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name for evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Does that sound like God's will is for you to have a trouble-free life? What did Paul teach about this trouble-free life for the Christian? Look at Paul, how he described his own life in 2 Corinthians. He says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich, as having nothing physically, materially, but possessing all things spiritually. Did Paul himself have a trouble-free life? I mean, if this is God's will, then surely Paul would have known it, wouldn't he? I mean, are these false teachers more spiritually mature than Paul? Do they understand spiritual truth Paul didn't understand? And Paul just needed to claim his prosperity... And when Paul looked at his life, he said, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, and that was with the whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Paul, you just need to speak your prosperity. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, and dangers from robbers, and dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, you're just not claiming your victory. You're not speaking the Word of God into your situation. If you did, you wouldn't have any of these things happen to you. Now let me ask you another question. Do you think Paul even wanted a trouble-free life? Well, let's see what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Most gladly, therefore, gladly, I rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And that word weakness is a word that's translated sickness in some places. Let's get what he says. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution. With difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak in himself, then I am strong in Christ. If you had offered Paul a trouble-free life, he would have said, I don't want it because it's through those troubles that my weakness is exposed and I lean on Christ and His power is made known in me. Far from wanting a life free from any hardships and difficulties, Paul said, I gladly embrace these things because they're God's way to make me strong. And then they are described, fifthly, as wild waves of the sea. Verse 13. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Have you ever walked along the beach after there's been a a strong storm has come through? And you remember all the old trash that's washed up on the beach and, and all the old dirty foam that's left behind? He says, this is what these teachers are like. They're just like wild ways that just cast up their own dirty foam. And we talked about their lives eventually ex- expose their evilness on the inside. They are exposed for what they are and for who they are. Jesus talks about these false teachers being like whitewashed tombs. Now, in Jesus' day, you know, people were not buried under the ground. They were buried in, in tombs that were carved out of the rock. And I remember when I used to read this as a young boy, I used to think, man, how did they do that? Because all I knew about was granite. The only rock we had where I grew up was granite. And, man, you cannot chip granite. But then I found out when I was over visited the Holy Land that some of that stone's not that hard to chip away. And so it wasn't like it was granite tombs they were, they were chipping away, but they were chipped out and, and put them in. Well, three times a year, you remember, everybody would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the three feasts. Well, the Jerusalem Beautification Committee would get together, and they would say, we've got to spruce this place up. So let's go whitewash, let's paint white all the tombs so that they'll look nice and clean, so when everybody comes to Jerusalem, they'll be impressed with how nice and clean it is. So they whitewashed all the tombs. So the tombs all look nice and clean and white. But Jesus said, inside, nothing but rottenness and decay. He told the scribes and Pharisees, he said, that's what y'all are like. Oh, y'all look so good on the outside. You have that thousand dollar smile. and You have that nice $1,000 suit. You got that slick back hair. That smooth voice. Your best life now. God loves you. God just wants you to be happy and He just wants you to enjoy life and He wants you to feel good about yourself. But underneath, it's just rottenness and decay. Just bringing up the foam and the filth that's there. And then lastly, he says, they are wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Now, wandering star, I think he's talking about shooting stars. You know, stars that are true stars don't wander. God has placed them in the heavens and they have a path that they stay on just like the planets do and they don't get off that path. In fact, stars are so orderly that mariners for the centuries, have been able to plot their course looking at the stars. Take that north star it's going to stay there if you can count on it, and you can can navigate your path that way. Imagine if a mariner was trying to navigate his path with a shooting star. <laughs> He's saying that these false teachers, you can get your spiritual direction from them as easy as a mariner could get his direction from a shooting star. There is no direction. There is no true path that can be found. You see, these false teachers say that it's always God's will to heal everyone who's a Christian and you should never be sick. Again, on the Copeland's website, they say, God's Word is so powerful, it can cure every sickness and disease known to man. It has no dangerous side effects. It is safe even in massive doses. And when taken daily, according to directions, it can prevent illness altogether and keep you in vibrant health. Now, if that's true, why did my dad die of a heart attack and my mom die of cancer? Well, you know what they would say? I didn't have enough faith. If I'd had enough faith and believed enough, God would have healed them. Now, where does that leave you? What kind of guilt have people been carrying falsely because they bought into this false teaching that if you just have enough faith, God always intends to heal all of His children? And that's what you're left with. You just didn't have enough faith to believe. If you just believed, right, God would have healed them. That child that had that leukemia that kept wasting away, if you just believed God and spoken the word of health into their life, if you had just saturated them with God's word, they would have been healed. What does that do to that parent? God can and does heal. I've seen it. I've experienced it firsthand. But it is not always God's will to heal every person. Not even every Christian. Timothy, you know he was sick a lot? He was frequently sick and had stomach problems. Now, either Paul was just totally spiritually immature and didn't understand God's word, or these false teachers are wrong. Because you know what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5? He says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, if these faith teachers are right, Paul would have just said, Timothy, you need to speak the word of healing into your situation. Or Paul would have spoken the word of healing into his situation. Paul doesn't mention that at all. He says, take a little wine for your stomach. And scientists have even shown that that within the grape juice, within the grape seed, there is something medicinal that helps a person's stomach. Well, what about this fellow named Trophimus? Paul said a word about him in 2 Timothy 4. He says, Erasmus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, I left, whoa, sick? Paul just walked off and left him sick? When it's God's will to heal everybody and every Christian? What was Paul? Did he not know the truth of God that he could stand and proclaim the word of God into this situation and God would heal him? I guess he didn't. He hadn't read what Gloria Copeland said, that it's God's will through the Word to have a vibrant health all the time. You see, the truth is, God has reasons for sickness. Some sicknesses may come into our lives just because we live in a fallen, cursed world. You may get the flu this year just because we live in a fallen world. Or there's a flu virus that wrecks havoc on your body you may get sick because god wants to bring spiritual growth in your life you remember paul had this affliction three times he prayed god take it away And what did god say no my grace is sufficient i want you to grow in this paul to trust me I want my strength to be perfected in your weakness. So sometimes we experience sicknesses because God wants us to grow spiritually. And then sometimes sickness comes from Satan. You Remember Job? Satan inflicted his body, but who was in control the whole time? God. And then some sickness comes from the hand of God to discipline us when we're off His path for us. You remember the church at Corinth, because they were abusing the Lord's supper. He said some of them were weak, some of them were sick, some had even died. So, from Jude's description of these false teachers, we can clearly see the danger of their hypocrisy. They are hidden reefs in the love feast. They are clouds without water. They are selfish. Shepherds. They are waves of the sea that just tossed up filth. They are wandering, shooting stars that offer no direction at all. You see, in their main teachings of prosperity, of total healing for all situations, of a trouble-free life, those are lies. Those will draw you away from God, not to God. Now, I've listed for you, in my opinion, some of the false teachers. Next slide, John. Some of the false teachers that are out there today. I've not listed all of them. This is my opinion, though. And if you are reading any books by these or listening to these on radio or Internet or CDs then I encourage you to stop. Now, the choice is yours, but your shepherd is telling you to stop. Benny Hinn, Marilyn Hickey, Frederick Prince, Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Robert Tilton, Oral Roberts, Paul Crouch, John Haggy, Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, Eddie Long, Joseph... Prince, Joel Osteen, Paula White, Peter Popoff, Jimmy Swaggart, Rob Bell, Oprah Renfrey, yes, she's spouting her own brand of heresy. And this one might surprise you. Brian Houston, Houston of Hillsong United. They're into that same prosperity gospel. What will you do with God's truth? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet, and I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor, and our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our minister of community connections, Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.